Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. Tonight, one of the most important people in the New York film scene, not only just with the new wave and the cinema of transgression, she is one of the premier filmmakers of that time and continues to be a premier filmmaker. It is Beth B. Beth, how are things? Hey, how's it going? Good to talk to you, Robert. It's good to talk to you. I'm, I want to start this off. Why did you decide to go back to Lydia? <laughs> I never left her. Um, <laughs> you know, Lydia, Lydia and I, I've, let's see, I've known her since she was 19 and I was 23. New York City, we met. Uh, when she frightened me, I saw her on stage, you know, performing Teenage Jesus in the Jerks. I was like, oh, my God, primal scream. I love it. But I was really intimidated by her. She was like a, a total n- new invention of what female could be. So since that time, you know, we've kind of worked on and off with each other on a number of projects. You know, we kind of meet, talk about what we're doing, a lot of our themes are very connected. And so, you know, we've just kind of done projects through the years. And then finally, I guess I'm trying to remember, the last time I worked with her was on Visiting Desire. That was 1997. So it has been quite some time. Um, I went into television, did a lot of television work. And then when I came out of doing television in 2008, I worked in television producing and directing documentaries um, for the networks. Oh boy, I learned a lot there. Um, when I came out of that, I was like, oh Christ, I have got to get back to my roots in the underground. So I started to go to clubs again. Of course, that's where you find the most interesting characters. And that's where my film, I'll just blow over this really fast so we can get to Lydia, but You know, I then made the film Exposed, which was about performance artists who are using the vehicle of burlesque to deal with some really intense political, social issues on the stages, in the clubs in New York City. And so I did a a documentary feature about them. Then I did a documentary feature about Ida Applebrook, famous, phenomenal artist, also my mother, And so who next? I was like, Lydia, okay, I felt like it was important in a way to look at my history, to look at the history of New York, especially because it does not exist anymore. Um, (laughs) So I loved our, you know, demolished playground of the 70s. It was just such an extraordinary time. And I really felt like Lydia's voice continues to be so vitally important and that it was, you know, a whole new generation of people needed to really understand the history of how we got to where we are today. So that's kind of what brought me to, you know, working with Lydia on Lydia Lunch, The War Is Never Over, feature doc, Film, which is actually opening at the IFC Center in two weeks. Oh my God, June 30th. So 
everybody should run to the theater. Make sure you have a ticket because it will sell out. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's like, full, for me, it's, it's kind of full circle and it's family and it's really the inspiration of, of how I grew up in New York City. I'm happy that you mentioned Full Circle because I'm kind of curious, was this one of the easier films that you've ever made? Did it feel easy to you or did it come with its own set of challenges? Oh, um, what a good question. Yeah, you know, I would say no film, no, the way that I make films, no film is easy. Um, I always have to scrape and scrimp and steal and connive my way into, you know, being able to get funding to make any of my films because I don't make commercial films. I make films about people and subjects that are often taboo, disturbing, you know, beyond, beyond the, the pale. And so it's, it's always a struggle um, I think coming out of television, it was kind of a, an extraordinary experience going in to make the film exposed because it was really underground, you know, seen in New York, performers, uh, clubs, close quarters. And coming out of television, I was used to having, you know, a crew and an editor and, you know, all of that because there were, I had excellent budgets. And then suddenly I'm back in the no budget, <laughs> the no budget realm of, of independent filmmaking. And I had to kind of go back to my roots in super eight filmmaking, which is how I started making movies. I didn't, I didn't go to film school. I went to art school and I just kind of picked up a super eight camera because I thought film embodies all of the arts. You know, it, it's visual, it's got sound, characters, you know, can be narrative. It has so many different genres. I was so attracted to film, but didn't have a clue as to how to make it. But I just picked up a Super 8 camera and started shooting and learned as I went along. So when I started to do Expose, you know, the first couple shoots, I had a crew and this, and it was really funny because the performers didn't want me to film backstage. And I was very upset. I was like, oh, it's a documentary film. I really need to be backstage. You know, you guys are like, that's where it's all going on. You're getting dressed. You're talking to each other. You're getting undressed. There's nudity, you know, all the good things. Um, and so I couldn't understand why they wouldn't let me backstage. And then finally, I was very grateful. Dirty Martini, who I just adore, and she's so talented. She was in my movie. She said to me, Beth, it can only be you with a little camera, that's it, no crew. And it was fantastic because it really did bring me back to the style of filmmaking from the late 70s. Just a little, so I had a little tiny video camera, I really small format, you know, little one. Um, and I just had my shotgun mic on top, headphones. That is how I filmed. And that is how I have filmed these last few documentaries that I've done, features, uh, exposed, call her Applebrook, about Ida Applebrook, and then Lydia's movie. Lydia's movie, the, the, uh, the interviews I had 
wonderful cinematographer, Peter Gordon, and he filmed the interviews, most of them. Um, and also I had a DP named Scott Sinkler. He did one of the interviews with Lydia and Nicholas Jar. But I really decided to stay small on that as well. And it just really, it gives, it gives me an intimacy. You know, it creates an intimacy between myself and my subject. When you have a big crew and there are all these people mediating, you know, it, it's really hard to get those really deep discussions going or be let into the back room where people are naked. You know? <laughs> so, so that is an interesting full circle that I've taken with the filmmaking at, in terms of style, but I've also, you know, all three of these films I edited myself. I went back and I'm just like, I can be a one, one person band again. I can do that. And I love it. It's exhausting. But in terms of, you know, challenges, you know, I would say because I know, know so much about Lydia, about her background, her personal life, you know, I, it made it a little more complicated to figure out how to approach certain subjects, when to approach them in the interviews, and just to make sure that, um, and I had to do this with Call Her Applebrook also because it was my mother. <laughs> Whole other bag of tricks there. I, had, I was wearing a million different hats. But with, you know, with Lydia, I just really wanted to have a much deeper complex portrait painted rather than the face that we all know of Lydia on stage. And people are really surprised. They're like, oh my God, she's so funny, you know? And, 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 and there are times when she's very vulnerable and there are like all those different dimensions of who Lydia is, which was challenging to, to, to get within the interviews and with the, the verite footage I was shooting and the performances and everything. And, you know, I love those challenges. If you don't have a challenge, then what, why do it? I, I, to me, challenge is the most important thing. Well, was there topics or just, I guess, discussions that you knew were going to be off the table? Like, did Lydia come to you beforehand and was like, I don't want to talk about things like, let's say my relationship with somebody like Henry or, or Nick or, or something like that? Or was there anything that she wanted to keep off limits? Was there anything that you wanted yes, to keep off yes. limits? Yes. She did not want me to film her cooking. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so upset because, you know, she has a great cookbook right? That she published. She published a cookbook with these great recipes. She, and I was like, oh, Lydia, come on, we've got to talk about it. And I, you know, she, she's a fantastic cook. She always, if you come over there, she always has something she's cooking, you know? And she said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> so, you know, there, there were certain things, but I, I felt like, you know, she's very approachable. And maybe, you know, maybe it's because of our long relationship and the kind of trust that we have with each other that I 
I didn't feel like there were things I couldn't ask her. And she never said, no, I'm not going to talk about that. So, you know, and to me, it's not, you know, getting into like, oh, her relationship with Henry or with Nick or this one. I'm not, personally, I'm not really that interested in it. You can go to the gossip magazines, please. So I was more interested in her brilliance and her career and um, the psychology of Lydia as she sees it and inhabits it. Uh, and that was more important to me, looking at her music and her writing and all the different dimensions of her creative work and her character. Now, I would assume you as a filmmaker have a lot on the cutting room floor. Would you say that there was a topic that you really wanted to address that maybe just didn't fit in the context of this film the way that it ended up or anything that any interviews that you maybe wanted to get? Was there anything left out of this? You know, you know, Lydia's done so much work. And this, I mean, this happens with every film. There's, you're right. You film and film and film, especially because now we have digital. You can film until you drop dead um, and not even do anything with it. But I, you know, I film a lot, but I'm very specific about what I'm doing. I'm, I'm pretty sure... Um, a lot of it will be used. Uh, what I found is that there were certain performances actually that I wanted to include in the film, but they distracted from the focus on Lydia because she does these fabulous collaborations with other musicians. And there was a band that she ha has worked with uh, called Medusa's Bed with two women who are in Europe and she has another band No Wave Out with Umar bin Hassan and those are phenomenal but I had I cut sequences of those and when I put it in the film it felt you know I actually I do I do screenings with people who I trust as I am editing or as I feel I have my first rough cut. And I had some of those sequences in there, and the three people who I showed it to all said, great footage, fantastic performances, but they don't belong in this film. It's distracting. We want to just be focused on Lydia. And so they will actually be included as DVD extras. So all my hard-cutting work, editing, won't have gone to waste. They're wonderful sequences and they will actually be on the DVD. So it's sometimes, you know, just, I, I have to, I've learned a lot, I feel, in terms of editing my films. And I always have to uh, think about the big picture. What is the big picture? What is the most important story to tell? And there were, maybe, there were maybe a couple of interviews I did not end up including because they did not really speak to the themes that I really ended up focusing on. And I always feel terribly guilty and horrible that oh, I, I interviewed them. They were very generous to be interviewed, but I, I have to, I'm not making the film to please anyone. I'm making the film to tell a story and 
I anything extraneous, I, I can't include it. And I know some people are probably very angry at me because I didn't have enough of them in or whatever. But I, I, I'm, I, I have to be brutal. I tell my students, I say, you have to be brutal when you're editing. You have to forget that you have any relationship with the person who you filmed and be objective and just, you know, cut it to tell the story. I'm glad that you mentioned, well, I'm glad that you mentioned learning through editing because learning is such an important thing with, with the filmmaking process. Do you think that you learn the most through your time in television, through your time now, going after television and trying to go back to your roots are actually your time working with Scott in, in the very early days. Yeah. I mean, in the early days, I felt like I was just stumbling and bumbling, you know, cause I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't, you know, I, I, you know, have maintained a very political stance. That's critically important for me. That is sort of where I come from out of my, out of, not my womb, my mother's womb, perhaps. Um, and <laughs> because Ida has always been very political. Uh, and so I think that all my work informs itself. I think that where I perhaps learn the most, I think I learn the most by making mistakes. You know, it's uh, that informs me. I learn a lot, you know, from watching other people's films. But for me, I always have to be extremely passionate about the subject that I am working on or with. Um, I have to have that obsessed feeling. And of course, in in television, um, it's a little less so. I was extremely fortunate because I worked, I, I brought my ideas to the networks and I said, I'd like to do a story about this. But of course, television's entirely different in that you have these executives telling you, change this, change that. And, you know, we want you to tell the story with narration and we want, oh, it's too, it looks too weird. And, you know, I brought, they always said, oh, they loved my work because it was so edgy. But then if I brought anything really edgy into the, oh, too edgy. So I learned in television that um, I, I learned a lot there. I really did. You know, I understood a little bit better of this concept of collaboration because I'm extremely headstrong. I learned a lot about how to listen to people who maybe were a little smarter than me or a little more or had just a different way of envisioning things. And that's very powerful because when I was younger, I wouldn't listen to anybody. And that's why to me, I do these sort of like, you know, my own version of a test screening. You know, I have people look at my film when I'm in a rough cut stage uh, because people can see things that I can't see because I'm so close to the material. And so they're giving me an extraordinary gift by watching it and being, being deadly critical. And that is, those are the people I choose. I choose people who know my work, people who I trust, 
who are not in competition with me um, and who really understand cinema. And, you know, one person who I depend on is uh, Sandra Schoberg, who is, you know, what a producer. She produced Quills and a lot of other films, and she co-produced Exposed with me. Uh, And she's the one who started the IFP, and she now has her business, which is Indie Collect, Preserving Independent Films. So she's 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 quite a uh, to me a towering figure of of experience and uh, integrity, and I I never feel like I have finished my film until I show it to her, and she almost always finds things that I need to address, and it's often painful. <laughs> You know, with the Lydia Lunch film, I thought I was finished with it about three or four times. I'd be like, okay, I'm done, done. And then, you know, I'd ask somebody to come in, and they'd be like, oh, Beth, I don't think you're done yet. And I'd be like, what? And then I would go home and cry, and I'd be like, oh, give myself a week, and then I'd pick myself up off the floor and get back to the editing room, my editing office, whatever I, I wherever I'm editing. And then I... I start spinning the wheels again. And, you know, that's, I'm lucky. I'm lucky I have people who are very honest with me. Having this wealth of knowledge now, and, but, but on the same, having, having this wealth of knowledge now, but in the same respect, going back to your roots a little bit, would you say that during this time in the last year and a bit now, that you were really actively trying to be creative? that you were letting your artistic juices flow? Or did you kind of take a break in the last year and, and you really thought long and hard about what was going to happen next? You mean the last year during the pandemic? Yes. Oh, I, I enjoyed the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say it was a... It was uh, an opportunity to go up to the country. I, we have a little place in the Poconos that's a couple blocks from a lake and it's just like a cottage. It's so lovely though. It's away from everything and it's just trees and birds. Occasionally a bear will come by, scare the shit out of everybody. Um, and I, you know, I just came here, I guess we were here from, I don't know, maybe a year or something during the temp- pandemic with my, my partner, Jim Coleman, who is an, you know, what a musician. He was working on his album with his new band, Human Impact. He used to be with the band Cop Shoot Cop, which were very, very infamous in the 90s. They were an Interscope record. And he's now working with Chris Spencer from Unsane. So quite quite a duo, and they're working with uh, Phil Puleo from Swans and Chris Pravdika from Swans. So it's quite a band. you got to check them out. Human Impact. They have one album out. They're working on a new one. Anyway, so we came up here, and we were just really creative up here. You know, we and my daughter, I have a daughter, and she was 17, 
and she was expressing to me how there are no films uh, about um, kids her age, about her story, you know, things that she relates to. So I actually mentored her, and she wrote a, a feature-length screenplay during the pandemic. And we now have a producer attached. Imagine that kind of creativity. I love that you're keeping the filmmaking in the family. That that excites me. <laughs> What's that? I just said that excites me. Yeah, she's very talented. She's going to Savannah College of Art and Design, and her name is Lola. And just very talented. So, you know, it. It's like, I think that, you know, if you're in a pandemic, if you are ill, if you, I mean, whatever, it's, for me, I do sometimes go, oh my God, what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? I'm, I'm in that place right now. I'm like, uh-oh, what am I going to do next? But I, I don't really, I'm trying not to dwell on that too much. I mean, my, my creative life involves you know, photography, art, large-scale installations, film, you know, writing. I, I actually, I'm hoping to do, uh, a con I've been writing a screenplay, which is now perhaps morphing into a scripted series. So, you know, I, I it's, I don't know, life, kind of keeps evolving. A lot of the themes of the early films of mine, um, those themes of power, control, you know, male versus female, gender, sexuality, all, you know, a lot of those things, are, they continue through my life. It's like what makes us human, the psychology of violence and the cycle of violence, um, you know, looking back on sort of what, what our families gave to us, what our families took from us, uh, evaluating sort of our environment from childhood. And that's why, you know, of course, Lydia's story was so interesting to me because it has so many of the themes that I have worked on through my career as a filmmaker, you know, going back to the late 90s and the kind of films that I was making then. But you know, it's reflected in the film Two Small Bodies. And Two Small Bodies is very much a film that has autobiographical, psychological groundings in my life, in my personal life. I had no idea when I was making the film, but afterwards I, I was like, oh my God, this is so personal. <laughs> and that's what I love about film is sometimes I don't know why I'm making the film I'm making but I have a burning fire under my ass and I have to do it. And it's not until sometime later after I finish the film or people start writing about the film, I reflect on it. And it usually comes from a very deep, often dark place inside of me. And I'm willing to bring it to light at that moment in time. Well, when you, so I, you know, I'm, what? I was just going to say, when you start putting pen to paper and you really are trying to develop an idea, you're so rooted in the music, in the music industry, 
would you say the music is the first thing that you like really gather a lot of your influence from? You know, that's such an interesting question that you ask because it is true. Music in every one of my films, I am, I, the music becomes very important at some point or another. It's not necessarily at the beginning. It's not necessarily at the end. I think it's that I am in, I inhabit kind of this, uh, backlog of, of music that plays to me almost like a narrative film. And so, in fact, the, the, the script that I've been working on most recently, which is, might be a scripted series, I don't know, it actually took its roots from the late 70s. And it's very much inspired by the music of that time, but more than the music of that time. I think it, it coin, they kind of coincide or they're symbiotic in nature is, the the issues of that time so because i think that you know like if you listen to some of the music from that time people were talking about things that were particular to that moment and so in some ways there's a narrative that the music embodies and that somehow coalesces with the story that i'm trying to write now that makes sense to you, Robert. Of course. <laughs> we So they kind of play back and forth, you know. Well, we have a lot of issues in the world right now. Do you think oh. we as society are doing enough and doing enough fast enough? Never, never. Are you kidding? Oh my god, I feel like I mean this is what's really gets distressing to me. I feel like, you know, we take steps forward and then we're like i mean look with trump are you kidding me we're just like fucking back backwards we are backwards upside down flailing uh you know it's uh, it, it, i think it's it's so difficult the thing that became somehow very vividly clear to me was maybe a couple years ago i i, I don't know why i started kind of watching some older experimental films made by, uh, you know, filmmakers. I mean, there was one by Tina Lahotsky and Barbara Hammer and Chantal Ackerman. I was like watching these and thinking about that period of time, a lot of black and white films. And I, I decided I wanted to put together a shorts program that were that in a way gave an interesting history of very taboo topics that women were addressing in the 70s, 80s. And I've put together these two programs of shorts, and, and they're all made by women, except for one. One is called Sewing Circle by Richard Kern, and it's a Kember Fowler sewing her pussy up. It's unbelievable. And she's wearing a, what is it, New Republicans t-shirt. It's fucking insane. Um, but these two programs I put together 
and they've been showing. I, I showed at the you know International Film Festival at Rotterdam. I'm going to be showing the two programs at the Lausanne Underground Film Festival. I might be showing them in a couple of other film festivals. And I, because I realized young women today do not know this history of the kind of radical voices of women in cinema. And there's even one film by a, a, a woman director. It, oh, what's her name again now? I lost the name. Um, but it's called Bread, and it was made in like 1918. And it's, it's like the Harvey Weinstein story done in 1918. You know, insane. So... You know, I, I've just gotten very inspired by looking, I think, at history. And I, actually, so much of my work, especially my installations and such, and my artwork, has a lot to do with uh, excavating our histories and understanding how we got to today and how we can move into the future in a more positive healthy manner, hopefully enlightened manner. And I guess, you know, the really positive thing that I feel like Lydia's movie and my work has inspired some young women. And actually there are two that, um, one is named Brianna, the other is Emma, and they've made films. They felt that they were inspired by the Lydia Lunch movie and my films in general, and they made these short films and they're fantastic. So when I see that, it's like, okay, yes, we are, you know, we step forward and then we're going backwards. Um, but we then step forward again. And to me, the most important thing is trying to keep a trajectory of, you know, moving forward. But, you know, none of us are in control of that. But that's why I feel like we have to really, as creative people, we have to be political and we have to, like, say things the way they are and deal with what is going on in the world and reflect on that. You have a young one at home and you've done some teaching throughout the years. Would you say that you're hopeful in the youth? Uh, <laughs> You know, by the young women I come in contact with, yes. <laughs> but, you know, it's when you look at this country and what happened the last four years, I mean, that is frightening. That is frightening. And you sit there and go, this is, this is half of this country. What the fuck? So you asked me that question. I wish I could give you a very optimistic answer, but the result of the previous election that that fucker ever got elected and then almost got elected again, I mean, half the population, you got to scratch your head and then you have to say, I got to open my mouth. You know, the way that I open my mouth, the way that Lydia opens your mouth and other people to say, no, you know, we, we, we cannot continue the kind of abusive shit that we have seen going on. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Oh, I wanted to give you the name of the, the, the director that did the film Bread. Her name is Ida May Park. 
I feel like I've seen. I, I I feel like I have seen bread. I I actually need to to go and check that. I remember. Yeah, I think I have. Look at, yeah, look on Kino Lorber's site. Kino Lorber, that's our distributor. They're doing a fabulous job of distributing Lydia Lunch. The War Is Never Over, and actually, they have picked up my entire catalog of films and they're restoring all old films from the late 70s early 80s they're restoring all of my you know two small bodies salvation doing gorgeous restorations and all my recent films a lot of short films i've made i've probably made about 25 films they're restoring all of them and they're going to be doing retrospectives and so those are going to be coming out as well through the fall and into 2022. So it's super exciting. Kino Lorber, go on their site. They're really awesome distributors and they are the best art house distributors. They, they really, really support true art. We are so I feel extremely lucky. We are very big supporters of Kino Lorber over here. So I, I agree Yay. with you a hundred percent. Good, good. And, um, can I plug a couple things? Please plug away. Okay, I'm gonna plug. Please look up our Lydia Lunch movie. It's it's www.lydialunchmovie.com. That's lydialunchmovie.com. You can also go and look at my website, which has films you can watch and also artwork, all sorts of stuff. And that's bestbproductions.com. That's best bproductions.com and come and see our movie at IFC Center. It opens on June 30th and then in New York City and then actually July 2nd it's going to be opening nationally in a in like 10, 20 cities. So we're going to be doing it na- nationwide. Lydia is going to be performing with her band Retrovirus on July 2nd second at TVI in Brooklyn. Don't miss that. It's going to be extraordinary live performance, retrovirus, Lydia Lunch. And uh, yeah, it'd be great to see some people at the screening. Lydia and I will be there opening night and probably a couple of the other nights following Friday and Saturday night. But we will be there Wednesday night, both of us, with big grins under our masks. I think we might have to wear masks. I don't know. They don't want us spitting in the audience. (laughs) (laughs) But it would be wonderful to see some people. And um, we also are going to have posters and tote bags and all sorts of fun things. So uh, what else? Robert, do you have anything else? Did we miss any? We missed a lot, I'm sure, but you know, always can catch up again. Anything else you wanted to ask or talk about? I'm going to, I'm going to leave it open and I'm going to say when these retrospectives come out, I would love to have you back on the show. You are, you are always welcome whenever you would like to come on. You are a friend of the show. So thank you so much for coming on. Nice. You're fabulous. And thank you so much. And, uh, Anybody listening to this, be creative. Do something cool. Okay, thanks, Robert. Thank you so much, Beth. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Make sure to catch Beth B.'s new film, Lydia Lunch. It's opening Wednesday, June 30th at the IFC Center. 
And uh, nationally, July 2nd, 2021, uh, keep an eye out, look at your local theaters, demand that this film plays, and if you haven't seen Beth B's old stuff, make sure you go do that, and definitely check out Lydia Lunch, and uh, she is touring right now, Lydia Lunch is, with uh, Retrovirus, so check that out wherever you can as well. This concludes our broadcast day.